This is Growing the Valley, a podcast by the University of California Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Miller, Orchard Systems Advisor for Butte, Tehama, and Glen Counties. I'm your other host, Phoebe Gordon, Orchard Systems Advisor for Madera and Merced Counties. On the podcast today, Dr. Ben Faber, Cooperative Extension Farm Advisor in Ventura County, discusses the effects of heat damage in orchard crops, particularly in avocado, as well as the practices to help manage high temperatures. But before we get to the show, I want to announce that as I record this, tomorrow, Thursday, September 29, from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, is the Practical Canker Management in Almond and Prune Zoom webinar. The webinar will feature UC plant pathologists Dr. Florin Truyas and Dr. Thamus Michalades discussing the latest best management practices for almond and prune cankers. The webinar is free and approved for 1.5 hours DPR and 1.5 hours CCA. If you miss the webinar, it will be recorded and shared with anyone who registered shared widely, including being posted at sacvalleyorchards.com. Please also save the date for upcoming Introduction to Orchard Irrigation Management meetings in three San Joaquin Valley locations this November. All events run from 7.30 a.m. to noon. Madera will be Monday, November 7, Bakersfield, Monday, November 14, and finally, Modesto, Wednesday, November 16. Finally, I must note that mention of any agrochemicals does not constitute a recommendation, merely the sharing of research results. Now, on with the show. Today on the podcast, I'm sitting down with Ben Faber to talk about heat mitigation in orchards, particularly in avocado and also what we can learn from avocado for other orchard crops. Ben, what have you been seeing in terms of heat impact to the crops that you work in? Oh, I'm so glad I can share the devastation that we're seeing around here. I'm in Ventura, but I cover Santa Barbara and along the coast down into San Diego. And boy, it's avocados have been hit, blueberries have been hit. Even coast live oak and eucalyptus, we've had this heat spell that went on for 10 days, two weeks, and normally along the coast, it's 65, 75 degrees, and, you know, it was 95 and 100 degrees. People aren't used to it, you know, going from one extreme to another like that. We've learned some techniques for mitigating that, for reducing the impact, but boy, some of these places were 117 and there's no really effective way to, to get around that. I'm sure those who followed advice and experience got through it better, but um, I think just about every orchard's been hit somehow. And what are some examples of this devastation and how it's manifested in these crops? Well, I work along the coast and we're looking at these small little valleys and, and small plains that comprise probably only about 300,000 acres between San Diego and San Luis Obispo. 
In the case of avocados, we're seeing leaf damage to the point where whole trees have turned from dark green to umber color <laughs> and seen fruit sunburn. I've seen it on citrus, on avocados, uh, on blueberries, the, the fruits just dried up. It's been pretty widespread impact. In fact, the first week we didn't see much, or I didn't see much damage. It was that second week where things really started showing up. The fruit damage, oftentimes you'll see the body of the fruit turning brown or black, and then the petiole on the fruit will turn brown, and then you'll start seeing the fruit dropping onto the ground. So some of these things are immediate. And then the stems of the trees where the buds are for next year's crop, a lot of times that's been burned as well. So there's no crop for next year. Wow. To not only be seeing superficial damage to the outside of the fruit, devastation to the crop for this year, but potentially a much reduced crop for next year. And this is just very intensive, really high value horticulture. So very, very concerning. Ben, I am a new homeowner here and you're not thankful for your air condition until the moment it goes out. And then you have a heat wave and you're really trying to get that up and working as soon as possible. And it's the same deal with plants is that they have their own built-in air conditioning system. And that's how you prevent this damage. So could you talk a little bit about that? and what we need to do to keep the AC running for plants? Yeah, right. So the leaf is a radiator, and for that radiator to work, it's got to transpire or evaporate water from its leaves. And so, you know, it's sweating, basically, and it's cooling itself off. These plants know how to do that. But with the stomata close, if you shut that system off, they heat up. They are no longer cooling themselves. And so in the case of avocados and and many other plants, a lot of landscape plants, the stomata actually will close under certain conditions. In the case of avocados, they'll shut down at about 85 degrees or 90 degrees, and they stop photosynthesizing. And not only that, they stop transpiring. You can keep them hydrated so that they kind of can force transpiration to keep going and keep the stomata open when it goes above 85 degrees by making sure the plants go into a heat spell well hydrated. If they shut down their stomata during a heat spell, they're not going to open them up. And that's when the, the leaves start heating up and we get this leaf damage occurring. So most growers have known that, oh yeah, I'm going to turn on my sprinkler when it gets hot and that'll actually cool the environment. But the trees may have shut down their stomata by the time that happens. So you really need to, you know, look at the weather forecast and get the water onto the trees before the heat shows up. You really want to have the water on at least 24 hours before that forecast is going to come true and make sure the trees are hydrated. And you might turn the water off until it does get up to 85 or 90 degrees and then turn it on and that'll help reduce the temperature in the orchard. It's amazing how cool an orchard feels when water is running. You you walk in off of grass or certainly off of asphalt or the sidewalk into an orchard and it'll drop 20, 25 degrees. Uh, So that's helpful. Absolutely. And that's really quite the task to hand growers when facing down a heat wave to keep their avocados from getting above 85 or 90 degrees. 
a great reason why we don't see tens of thousands of acres of avocados in the Central Valley is it's just too darn hot. But what are some of the considerations that your growers have taken when setting up their orchards or maybe should have taken when setting up their orchards to change this environment, to make this fight as easy as possible to wage against heat? What kind of things can they do? You know, it's interesting. Daniele Zaccaria is our irrigation specialist at UC Davis, and he's looked at orientation of citrus orchards, uh, east, west, north, south. If you plant on a north-south pattern, it actually increases the amount of water use in the plant. Well, that makes sense. If you get optimum production out of a tree, it's because they're losing more water. You can't produce without losing water. They go hand in hand. So I would say initially, if an orchard were planted in an east-west fashion, it would use less water, but you're going to get less production at the same time. But certainly laying out your orchard irrigation, you want to make sure that it's well designed from the first standpoint, that it's got a good initial distribution uniformity, that the system is not clogged. I mean, it's so common to see microsprinkler and drip systems that they're not fully functional. You go into an orchard and the spinner on the microsprinkler is not spinning and you can hear it. It's not working. By gosh, you can't go into an irrigation season with a crippled irrigation system. When it comes right down to maintaining the health of the orchard through a heat spell, it's got to be up and running and well-maintained. Also, too, we found quite a bit of impact of you know, having a cover crop. That's an added source of water that is being transpired in the air to reduce temperature. We found that hedgerows and windbreaks can affect temperatures in orchards by as much as 10 degrees. There's been a lot of work that's been done in other countries like Australia and Israel and have had this heat phenomenon. We grow avocados in Ventura because it's always 65 degrees. Well, that's not true any longer, and we're having to learn from others who know better. And, you know, a lot of this work has been done in places like Australia, where they found that windbreaks and shelter belts, as they call them, can improve temperature modification. In some cases, growers have actually planted crops so that they their so-called cover crop is actually cropping. <laughs> We've got a guy here who planted sweet peas and is harvesting those sweet peas for the flower market and getting the added cooling effect from it as a cover crop as well. There are modifications you can make to an established orchard, and some of those are cover cropping and hedgerows and windbreaks. And you really got to go back and look at the irrigation system. We've modified some of our systems now that so that they're not truly irrigation systems. They're risers that put out water over the canopy. So they're over canopy cooling systems. And quite a few growers have been playing around with different style emitters, different output emitters, pulsing water in 15-minute pulses so that they have enough water to get over the whole orchard. Some of this work actually was done a long time ago using misting systems where very fine vapor was put out. There are certain areas, like in Palm Springs, where you go into restaurants and so on, they have outdoor seating and they'll run this. And you see it at dairies. They'll be running it to cool the cattle. In many cases, we've found that we've got really terrible water in general in Southern California. 
in the sense that we've got water, but it might have a lot of salts like calcium sulfate. And these misting systems will gradually accumulate the salt on leaves and fruit to the point where you get a salt damage and defoliation from the salt. So we found that the true droplet that runs off the leaf, cooling it and doesn't accumulate salt on the leaf is the best way to do it. And also, we often get these heat waves in association with wind events, uh, sananas as they're called. And you need a fairly large droplet size in order not to be blown off the property by the wind. So a lot of these cooling systems are designed to put out four, five, six hundred gallons a minute per acre. I've seen as high as two or three thousand. But most of our orchards are small and they've got small wells. I've yet to see a five thousand gallon per minute well in this area, which is not uncommon in the Central Valley. So mulching also, that kind of blankets the ground, preventing the soil from heating up. So mulch is a uh, material that can insulate, prevent sun from heating it up. It also can insulate in the sense that it prevents the soil from heating up during the winter. And so a mulched orchard actually will be cooler than an unmulched one. But so it's in a hot environment. Mulching can be very effective. So many strategies grower is not going to just use one of these. He or she's going to use a suite of these to be successful. You have the pre-heat wave irrigation, the interrow cropping or cover cropping can be a strategy, hedgerows and windbreaks, the overhead cooling sprinkler systems, something we really don't see a lot of in the Central Valley crop because the value of the crop just isn't there, even if horticulturally, agronomically, you'd really like a system like that. But for your growers, this is something that, although it's very expensive, it could pay itself off in a season or two because of the high value of the crop. And then of course, mulch, which avocados are fabulous at creating their own, a lot of great tools. And you see quite a bit of adoption in growers trying these out. It's gotten to the point where they're going to lose their crop and you lose everything. These overhead cooling systems, I've seen as little as seven or $800 an acre to as much as about $1,500 an acre. So, you know, you amortize that over 10 years. It's easily affordable by most growers. We apply a lot of our pesticides, even nutrients by helicopter here. Because of the uneven terrain and steep terrain, it's hard to get spray equipment in. And I've seen people applying whitewash, kaolin, or a lime spray, five gallons per acre, by helicopter. And that white reflectant can be very effective as well. So that's one of the added tools that people can use. The anti-transparents... These materials, a plastic covering oftentimes you know, that reduce transpiration are not a good idea. Some of them are promoted as drought materials. Again, if, if you stop transpiration, you're going to stop that radiative cooling. And I've seen a number of trials in South Africa and various places where people have applied it, and it's made a heat stress period even worse. So the anti-transference are not a good idea. There is some value in a healthy tree. A well-watered, well-fertilized tree is better able to sustain itself through a heat spell. There's been a lot of work on biostimulants, kelp and you know, seaweed extracts and 
I've seen compost extracts and there's, you know, some interesting work that's been done out there. I'm not sure what to promote because some of this stuff works one year and not the next. And I mean, it's certainly worth sleuthing out. There's been some work done down in Chile with gibberellic acid material. And I'm going, how does that work? <laughs> it's hard to understand the physiology of some of these things, but people swear that they do work. Yeah. On the biostimulants, you had a whole podcast talking with Patrick H. Brown at UC Davis about his work evaluating biostimulants. And some of them really do help and would benefit the bottom line. Others do nothing and others actually hurt you. Yeah. And there's no great rules of thumb for classes, even within these biostimulants, like, oh, the seaweeds are good. It's within class. Some of the stuff works and some of it doesn't. So it's really hard to guide growers. And then, as you said, you've mentioned all of these great principles to surviving extreme heat, like the preheat irrigation and cover crops and overhead sprinklers and mulch, just a well-watered and well-fertilized tree. Like so many adverse situations, the healthier you are going into it, the better off you're going to be. And I find it interesting. You've seen success even with relatively low, only five gallons to the acre of kaolin applied by helicopter, but you do see some issues as they do with many crops with that, that clay product, that kaolin being on the fruit, right? Because you want to wash that off. Yeah, right. So kaolin doesn't wash off the fruit very easily and, and it really upsets the packing houses. The lime materials though do wash off. If you are in early stages with the kaolin, it, when the fruit is smaller, the fruit will grow out of it. But you really have to scrub a piece of fruit in order to get it off. You know, in the case of walnuts, so what if you get it onto the husk? That's not the part that's going into the food chain. Exactly. Exactly. Ben, you mentioned earlier that one of the blessings, although we usually think of it as a curse, is that during the growing season in California, it doesn't rain by and large. So most of the disease you see is with the roots and not the above ground part of the tree. A lot of this is throwing water at the problem. What have you seen when growers go too far with trying to help their trees along by watering? What do you see with water logging or phytophthora? Yeah, right. Avocados are the most difficult crop to irrigate that I'm aware of. I mean, I got my master's working on almonds and I always thought almonds were a tough little crop to grow, but man, avocados, they are a different beast altogether and too much water, too little water, too much wind, too little wind. They are so sensitive to anything. And so avocado growers are either doing well or they're doing poorly. And it, it really all goes back to their irrigation practice. I've never seen a crop that is more sensitive to irrigation. And if they put too much water on at the wrong time, they are going to get root rot. It's better to be on the dry side with an avocado than on the wet side because the phytophthora just love water. You got to prepare your heat strategy pretty carefully to avoid phytophthora root rot. Phytophthora is probably the most widespread horticultural root disease. And we also get root diseases and trunk diseases that are phytophthora. We get phytophthora, citricola, as it might be called. We get nicotiana in citrus. 
And if you get trunk sweating, you know, you'll get trunk rots from phytophthora. You know, water is a dangerous material. <laughs> the salinity of our water is such that every time we irrigate, we're putting salt on. So we want to make sure that that water is being put on at the right time so we don't put on more salt. So it's not just disease, it's the salts that we're putting on with water. Wow, so many considerations there. And you just echoed what David Dahl told me years ago. And when he looked across his experience of being an Ammon Farm advisor and saying how successful you are is really dictated by how good you are at irrigation. Yeah. So I would agree. Even in a harder crop, I'm sure, to irrigate than Ammon. Ammons, you have quite a bit of leeway they can take quite a bit of stress in one direction or the other and still do fine versus avocados. That is not the case. Even walnuts, that's not the case. Ben, what have you seen in terms of some grower success when it's come to their own experimentation when it comes to facing heat? Growers, they are such innovative folks. Well, facing down heat, I mean, you can never rest on your laurels. Good growers always experimenting on a, some level, you know, looking for new technologies, new techniques, new ideas. So you've got to be open to those ideas. And uh, it's kind of shocking to me sometimes. These are entrepreneurs. These are enterprises. And you're looking at what is it taking to go into it? And what am I getting out of it? And one of the things that has been hard is to tell growers this orchard or this part of the grove is not producing. It's too windy. It's too shallow. It's taking too much of your time to manage the 10% of that orchard. And you've got the rest of the 90% to look after. And by gosh, cut it out, lease it out, do something else with it. Don't keep trying to make something grow there. And with a limited resource, don't waste it. Put it into the part of the orchard that's giving the highest return. This has been shown time and time again. If you've got 100 acres and you've got enough water for 90 acres, get rid of 10 acres because you can't make all the other trees suffer just to keep some parts of it going that are not paying their way. So you got to be cold-hearted. You know, triage is required at times and it's not easy. Wow. As somber as it is, I think that's the perfect message across agriculture for folks to hear right now. These are really tough times with very high costs and often low prices for the crops, at least the ones uh, Clarissa and I are working in, in addition to the drought. So that message that you need to be focused in farming your best producing orchards and maybe drop what has been poorly producing, I think that that's absolutely, absolutely the case. Ben, do you have any other final takeaways that you want to leave with growers and other folks in ag? Ventura was the largest lima bean growing area in the world. It was the largest sugar beet growing area in the world. It had the first almond orchard in California. And none of that's grown here now. The largest walnut growing area in the world. And we've got, I don't know, maybe 100 acres left. You know, it's constantly changing. I'm trying to encourage production of things like figs. I'm sure the growers in Tulare and Fresno don't want to hear that, but we'll grow a fig in a different period of the year than the Central Valley. You know, keep experimenting. 
golly, things like mulberries are dynamite fruit and they do really well on little water. And at this point, I don't know of any major diseases or pests on mulberry. I really am impressed with how adaptable agriculture is. And it needs to be adaptable because the weather's changing, the consumer is changing, our water is changing. Go with the flow, keep it up. Absolutely. I'm just so personally proud to get to serve in the number one ag state in the country. And I think that our growers are just so incredibly innovative and successful. And to your point, if it's grown somewhere and we can grow it here, California growers are going to figure it out and hopefully Cooperative Extension can help. But Ben, thank you so very much for taking this time. Tell us about avocados and what's going on in Southern California with extreme heat and definitely some key lessons that we can take to the rest of California and beyond. Ben, thank you so much. Yeah, keep it up. Thanks for listening to Growing the Valley, a UC A&R podcast. You can find out more about this episode at our website, growingthevalleypodcast.com. We'd like to thank the Almond, Pistachio, Walnut, and Prune Boards for their support. We'd also like to thank my sister, Muriel Gordon, for writing and recording the theme music.